on from there you get the picture yeah i uh yeah this is the west coast project podcast for better call saul my name is mike hi i'm kelly from better call saul fun facts hey kelly how's it going i'm doing great that scene makes me blush a little do you wish you had a toilet like that when you were a little kid no (laughs) (laughs) not at all saul's quite on quite he's He's uh he's on track to find something out of his career. He's really searching in a lot of funny places in this episode. I know, I love it. I love his journey. He's uh he's yeah, he's really looking for his job, I think. He's trying to find his brand, you know, like they say. And like the rest of us, he makes some mistakes and sometimes making mistakes find help us find our path, you know. Exactly. And you know, with all of this fame all of a sudden, you get a lot of looky loos like I do with selling insurance. That all of a sudden you do a good insurance ad and you get a bunch of people that are just freaks. Uh, so I understand his journey to find the right client. I really do. Yeah, and he doesn't give up. I mean, we'll get into this as we go through the recap, but I really like how he doesn't give up. His his one day goes from like super high expectations and it ends up with like 150 bucks, you know. And but he still tries, which is admirable, I think. Right. He's tenacious. And and like we were talking, the, the O's on the titles has ended. So this is Alpine Shepherd Boy. Um, and I found out that this originally was supposed to be called Jell-O. Uh, but for trademark reasons, they were not allowed to use that. So that kind of explains a little bit of why the O disappeared in that link of titles of the show. Yeah, you'd think they could come up with another word with an O at the end of it, though, don't you? Possibly, but um, Alpine Shepherd Boy, it ended up fitting. I ended up understanding it. Um, but we have not heard from Nicole Cassell yet. She directed The Woodsman, and this is her first time directing for Vince Gilligan. And there is a little bit of a different feel to it, a lot of really wide shots. And I don't know if the listeners or you have noticed, but each beginning of Better Call Saul the, with the credits is different. Yeah, he's had the phones and he's had the the cigarette butts and the scale. What else? What what have I missed? The car. Oh yeah, the car. Uh, yeah. I'm surprised that people uh I put that on my Better Call Saul fun facts on Facebook and I got a lot of oh, I didn't notice that. And I've noticed it from the beginning, so go back and check that out. Yeah, and it's pretty low key looking uh graphic. It's not very high slickly produced. It's just really basic looking. Right. I really like it. It looks kind of cheesy 80s video game. All right. So let's get into it. The ABQ police, this opens up with the police coming for Chuck. You know, he stole that paper last time. And um, I don't really think they were coming because he stole the paper. I think this lady probably called and said this crazy loon of a guy charged my door. And he looked he looked dangerous doing that. I don't really blame this lady for calling the cops. I don't either. Um, I mean, if you think about when we saw from her point of view and this crazy man with the space blanket running crazily across the street, uh, and the lady looks older, 
in her at least her 70s. I'm sure she was scared to death. Yeah, a guy in a crazy silver blanket running like crazy and running back to his house. I mean, who knows what he's capable of. Right. Um, so anyway, the cops come. Chuck's cowering under his blanket when they knock on the door. He doesn't want to answer the door and starts quoting probable cause to them um, about the law and what they need to have to be able to come in and investigate. But they go check out the back door while one of them's at the front door. The other goes to check it out. And they see all the camp fuel and the the breaker boxes all being ripped apart. And they think he's some sort of a tweaker, which, again, you can't really blame them. He looks – this whole thing looks really super suspicious. Right, and also all the weeds and all the uh, vines that are growing around the circuit box is so freaky. And you can see the cops with that eye roll, like, oh, here we go, a freak guy giving us the rules of entry – uh, probable cause, and you know, it, it, he could have just opened the door and been over with it, but he made himself sound nuts. Yeah, I mean, you can't blame them for what they do. They break in the door, and of course, what's the worst thing that could happen to Chuck, who's afraid of electricity? The taser. The taser. That's exactly what he gets. Don't tase me, bro. First thing they do, they pull out their tasers. <laughs> yeah, right. There was a lot of memes about that, and the baked potato with a space blanket. Yeah, pretty well. He he kind of had that coming, I think. So, next we see Jimmy on his pursuit of careers, his brand, and he's visiting all the people Kelly that were the results of his billboard marketing scam. Yeah, um, seven calls. We thought that worked, and I guess it got people to call. But we're going to see some of the quality of people that called and the things they want legal assistance with. Um, and the first guy is Ricky Sipes. He's the guy with the ranch with the big buffalo gates and uh, the cool Hummer in the driveway. That that uh, house was actually being scouted in Breaking Bad to be Elliot and Gretchen's house. And a lot of that prize animals in there are real. But I'm glad that they didn't use it because that didn't have the right feel for me. That They didn't use that for Elliot and Gretchen, you mean? Yes. Yeah, it looked a little wacky. It looked like a wacky safari dude or some western cowboy type guy. Mm-hmm. Just like the guy, just like Ricky. He was, you know, they were calling him Foghorn Leghorn on the on the podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. But he has a cool Hummer out in front. And like you said, all the all the stuffed animals, very western motif. Uh, and of course, Ricky saw him on the TV with the billboard and liked him because you believe in real America, son, self sufficiency. The government's crushing the spirit of entrepreneurship. He really likes Saul for all this, or Jimmy, I guess, for all this. And uh, Jimmy plays right up to it and says, yeah, it's all tragic and un-American what they're doing. And um, it turns out Ricky wants to make his 1,100 acres into a sovereign state and secede from America. Do you think that uh, Jimmy had much knowledge of how to do that, or was he just going along with it? Hell no, he's going along with it. Yeah, okay. I, like like we said, he's finding his niche. He's like, well, maybe it'll be uh, <laughs> secession law or whatever. Right. He's open to anything, I think, at this point. But um, so Ricky mentions Vatican City. Vatican City's the city inside Rome. It's a little uh, it's a little enclave that's its own city, just very small. It's really super small, probably less than 1,100 acres. Um, and that's what this guy wants to do. He wants to uh, turn it into his own country. Did we ever get a name? Yeah, we did. It was um, the Sandia Republic. Correct. That's what he wanted to call it. Um, so he asked Saul what he charges, and Saul says 450 an hour. 
but it's going to take a long time. So Ricky immediately negotiates that to a million dollars, 500 up front and 500 when they're done in cash. Is that okay with you? And, uh, of course, Saul, his jaw drops a little bit. He doesn't really quite know what to say at first to all this. He looked like he was going to throw up. And I have to point out that when the guy takes the money out of the wall, it reminded me of when Walt was hiding the money in baby Holly's room. It had that same shot where he takes the money and you can see it from our point of view. Yeah, this was really believable. I thought this guy was nuts, but he was really like rich and nuts and he was going to come through and hand saw this big project. Me too. Uh, But we get to see that the money is Ricky Bucks. Poor Saul, man. His mood drops like a rock when he sees the Ricky Bills of the Sandia Republic, backed by the full resources of the Sandia Republic. Right. I thought his problems were over. He's getting his 500K, and he can start his new career. And what a letdown. Yeah, he zooms out of there before the gate even gets fully open in his crappy little car. But he's on to the next adventure. He doesn't. That doesn't foil him. He keeps going. And the next one is that toilet talker that we heard in the opening sequence, Kelly. Uh, Roland J. Cox also found him on the billboard, but he's the inventor of the Tony the Talking Toilet. I think that's what he called it, right? Tony the Toilet? He called it uh, Tony the Toilet Buddy. Talking Toilet Buddy, yeah. And of this, um, this invention has some overtly su- suggestive phrases that old Roland doesn't even realize, does he? He just thinks it's cute. Right. And I mean, first we had the sex robot voice and now we have the toilet sex voice. So I'm not sure what's going on behind the scenes with the writers, Uh, but it's pretty hilarious. And, you know, when you see him rip off that tarp to show off his invention and has him sign the disclosure statement uh, in the in the shot, he accidentally ripped the top of that toilet off. uh, And they had to go all over Albuquerque looking for a toilet lid to fit that. So they had a little bit of problems with that right off the bat. Yeah, I heard that on the Insider podcast that they were saying that uh, toilets are all made uniquely, that the, it's not one top fits all. Right. And, and did you hear about uh, Vince Gilligan was, had an actual talking toilet. I have that on my um, Better Call Saul Fun Facts page on Facebook. You can see the little toilet buddy that somebody made him. It's pretty funny. I hope they sell one. So this guy Roland, he's he's out of it, out of touch here, because he he doesn't get it when Saul says, you know, this is a little suggestive. He's kind of offended by this, and says, no, this is for children. This is like encouraging children to be toilet trained. He doesn't get it. So this, of course, goes totally south as well. They end up insulting each other, and Saul leaves. Um, and then his next caper is the Alpine Shepherd Boy. Some figurines are owned by this Mrs. Strauss. And I guess she's setting up her will, and she needs help with that. Her will has, of course, tons of stupid conditions that people can't get married to certain other people, etc., etc. And I guess she's given away these Hummel statuettes, and one of them is the Alpine Shepherd Boy. Yes. It took me a second watch to put that all together. I have to admit, I didn't understand what she said uh, when she was coming down the stairs. But once again, you've got Vince Gilligan throwing in one of those really long shots that take forever uh, that you don't normally see on TV when she's going down on her little electric stair lifter. And it takes, you know, a good minute and a half for her to get down and unclick out of that thing. Yeah, Uh, she she had to go and get each one of these 15 or 20 things that are on that table, like each individually, don't you think? Because Saul's worn down by the time she gets the shepherd boy. 
Well, he off- she offers him tea, and he says, no, no, I'm good. Yeah, she moves at like half a mile an hour 15 yeah. times. Um, but this is a $140 deal, Kelly, so... But he gets no small degree out of satisfaction out of this. He thinks it's really good at this point. And like we said, he's really dropped from the beginning of the day. His first deal is a million dollars, although they're Sandia bucks. But it looked like a really rich deal. But he's still not discouraged. He puts that money in his pocket, and you know he's still trying. He's still, still got the old college try, which I, I give him credit for. I do, too. And if you rewatch it, he snaps that money out of her hand like an alligator. It's funny, like, okay, I got to make some money today. And it just is like, as soon as she pays him that 140 bucks, he snaps it out of her hand. Yeah, and he looks pleased. He looks like, all right, and like his face, you could see he was a little happy, like, all right, this is how it's supposed to work. You get real money for real work. Uh, just his brother told him. Yeah, yeah, right. He's going to go celebrate with Kim now, and he recounts his day with her and makes her laugh as he's painting her toenails. They look like they have, I think it's a little bit more than just a friendship, it's it's a little bit sexy, right, to paint somebody's toenails like that? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. I actually thought of you when I was watching this because we were talking about how they were in the friend zone, but that has definitely changed. Uh, me being a woman, you have a guy painting your toenails and touching your feet. That's that's an intimate thing. Uh, and I have to point out, people immediately figure that that blue color they were painting on her toes was planned out but originally if you remember back when he had that date with that cheesy girl at the bar in the first episode she had these red glossy cheesy nails uh and they didn't want to use the same uh color polish important to women uh for michelle mclaren's directing so they changed it to blue but the, the flirtation they have you can tell that there's either something coming up or something they've had in the past. Yeah, I think so, too. And the blue meth, too, has somehow got to be something back of somebody's mind in that writer's room. Oh, absolutely. They did a nod to it, but uh, originally that was supposed to be red, which to me is too romantic of a color for the scene, being a woman and having nail polish knowledge. Yeah, red's more dangerous and blue's more fun and friendly, I think, too. Right. I think they want us to think of Kim and and Jimmy as fun and friendly, even if it is a little sexy. It's not like hot and heavy sexy. It's like fun, friend, friend type sexy. Exactly. So um, we find out is Saul talk or keep calling him Saul. Jimmy talking to Kim that he did two wills and a living trust that day. So he wasn't done with the uh, Alpine Shepherd lady. He got some other work in, unless he did two wills for her. But I don't think so. I think he moved on from her and did some more work. He's really humping, man. He's really working hard. Right. I think elderly law is a good place for him to start. He does have a kind heart. We've been saying that, that he's not a, a Chuck McGill type. He's very sweet. Yeah, Kim Kim suggests elder law, too, because I guess she had a bad experience with her grandmother. Their, her cousin stole her grandmother's payments and stuff, and she knows elderly people have to have care, too. And there's probably not a whole lot of money in it, but it's one of those do-good type things. Um, Kelly, do you think they'll end up in business together somehow? They're they're headed for some sort of collaboration. Yes, I do because he has mentioned several times that she doesn't need to be over there at that eight, uh, at that law firm, and she said, you know, wow, your most exciting day is better than my most boring day. And he said, well, we got to do something about that. Um, and I know that she plays a big role in this, and I really like Ray Seahorn. I really like her acting skills. So I'm hoping that they'll do something like that. Yeah, she looked kind of mean in the very first episode, but it turns out she's really kind of kind. She's she's a really sweet person in Saul's life here. 
Jimmy right. Live. So she gets a call from Howard and something's up with Chuck. And I got, I got to admit, Kelly, when I first saw this, because they just say, oh, Chuck, and they cut to a commercial, thought he was dead. Well, I was thinking back to our conversation about what we thought was going to happen with Saul or Jimmy. And you were saying, I think that he's going to, his brother's going to take a turn for the worse. And uh, I started thinking that maybe you're right on your theory here. Um, well, he's in the hospital because of this laser taser light being dragged out of the house and into the hospital with all the electronics. And we see all the weird video and sound effects as he is Chuck sling in his hospital bed. And uh, Saul tries to shut it down. He's really got his brother's back here, which really was touching, I thought. He's backing up his brother. He's really very loyal. Right. I absolutely love that. He came in and started shutting everything down. And, you know, for the Breaking Bad fans, the girl who comes in and starts kind of wrestling with him and telling him, hey, you got to keep that stuff on, is the same nurse that tried to throw Jesse out when he was waiting for Brock's um, diagnosis in the hospital. Oh, cool. Is this all the same hospital, too? Yes, they've used the same hospital uh, for when Walt had his fuke state. And then um, some of the stuff they used on a set, like when uh, Hank gets his handy. Um, but when Jesse's waiting for Brock, yeah, they use the same hospital. So uh, I love that they go back and use this stuff and that my followers notice this stuff. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy's pretty healthy, pretty healthy, pretty Lucky that Kim is there to help him, too. She diffuses the situation with that security guy who, of course, you know, Jimmy looks nuts, too. He's climbing up and unscrewing the fluorescent bulbs. And But Kim helps him. She says, look, I know this guy. Listen to him for a second. And uh, then the doctor comes in and wants to commit Chuck for 30 days. And we hear Chuck speak up that he'd rather not do that. Right. And he seems so innocent, so lost, so helpless. Uh, And, you know, and you think of him as a big, powerful attorney in this big law firm, and now they're trying to take him away. So he tells us what he's feeling from this electromagnetic hypersensitivity, uh, bone pain, dizziness, burning, muscle fatigue, heart palpitations, vertigo, nausea, and shortness of breath. And it looked like to me, Kelly, that Kim doesn't believe any of this, but she's really polite. She won't buy into it. She just says, oh, I'm not a doctor. So she doesn't say, yeah, he's not. She just says, well, I'm not a doctor and kind of backs out of it. Right. I mean, I'm sure none of them really buy into it. I don't even think Jimmy buys into it, but he's just so he, – he well, when they're in the hallway and he says, hey, Chuck's smarter than the two of us put together, so we can't talk him out of this. So uh, you don't think Jimmy's believing any of this is real? No, not at all, because he was telling them to take the space blanket off before. Um, and, I mean, I think we all know, or at least I believe, that that's a mental condition, that he's not really allergic to anything. And you see the doctor pull a uh, little bit of a trickster move there by pulling her when she put a, she turned the bed on to see if he would react. Yeah, and he doesn't feel it, doesn't right. notice. So, yeah, this Dr. Cruz, her name is Dr. Cruz, tries to talk jimmy into an evaluation getting chuck evaluated um but no jimmy still supports him stands up for chuck i think jimmy knows it's bullshit too i think jimmy knows chuck is just like going a little crazy mentally with this but you know i I bet you can go mentally crazy and still feel pain and dizziness and all that i think he does really feel that stuff absolutely i mean the mental a mental condition can be pretty strong Uh, So he truly does believe he's allergic to this stuff. 
So the doctor says Jimmy's help helping Chuck is enabling him and that Chuck is potentially endangering himself and others. And she's got a real good point here too. Um, and Jimmy turns, turns to Kim and asks what she'd do if, if it was her decision. And she finally says, look, he needs help. He needs some, something other than you just enabling him. So I agree with that. I think he does need help. Right. Something had to come to a head here. He couldn't live like that forever. There had to be something that was going to bring this to light. It's a really interesting way to write the story, though, because this whole situation with Chuck, of course, involves a lot of money because of his situation with Howard and the law firm, the Hamlin, Hamlin, McGill. So Howard shows up and, of course, he states his opinion that will slant everything in his favor, that this is definitely a physical condition, not a mental one. We can all agree on that. <laughs> and um, Jimmy gets catches on right away and says, of course, you don't want him committed because then I'd be the legal guardian. And I'd cash his ass out quick of HHM, and Howard does not want any of that. Right. Howard's such a, he's such a skeezer. He's really great at smiling and acting like he's your friend. And this is the first time we've seen him without his schnazzy suit on. He's more dressed down in this one, but definitely wants it for his favor. He's wearing a douche of a shirt, though, by the way. Mm-hmm. He looks like a total douche. Jimmy's kind of puts up a false front here and says, I wasn't sure, but now I am. Wave goodbye to your cash. I'm getting him committed. But that's just a fake out. He just wants to see Howard sweat. Jimmy ends up taking Chuck home. Right. There's no way that Jimmy's going to commit him. He just loves his brother too much. He doesn't want to see him committed, even if it would help him. Yeah, yeah. And we see this. He gets him home. It's really touching how he takes care of his older brother like this. He goes and gets his blanket, even though he doesn't believe it. You know, Chuck's visibly in pain. I mean, whatever's causing it, his brain or his emotions or whatever, but he's really hurting. They talk about this billboard scam. And um, I think we figure out from this scene that the paper in Jimmy's wrongdoing or in Chuck's eyes, Jimmy's misdeeds are what make him feel bad, too. Didn't you catch that out of it? There was some discussion on that, on whose fault it was, and I, I think Jimmy feels like it was, but then I agree with Chuck that if he hadn't gone outside to go get the paper, that's what made him sick. And he didn't know what was in the paper. He just saw that the neighbor's papers were all there and his wasn't, and he has nothing to do but read. Uh, so that's what started the whole reaction. Yeah, but they talk a little bit, and as soon as... Chuck is is um, convinced that Jimmy's maybe on the up and up. He perks right up. He gets right up out of his blanket and goes and makes coffee. He gets up. He recovers like instantly. Yeah, that's a good catch. So, what do they talk about here? They talk about how actually how law- lawyers could not even legally advertise until someone did something in the state bar of Arizona back several years ago. I mean, Chuck, of course, knows this whole law, um, but lawyers before this for a while couldn't even advertise legally. So Jimmy tells him what he did. He got business from this, but that business is on the up and up. It's wills and trusts and all the elder law stuff. Need a will? Call McGill. Yeah, and the, bill, the whole billboard scam thing just got it rolling. And from, from now on, it's everything on the up and up by the rules. Jimmy, Jimmy, slipping Jimmy is dead and buried back in Cicero. Yep, he said it was unethical, but he gave himself a promotion. And that's when Chuck got up. He's like, okay, then let's make some coffee. He just pops right up. Like, yeah. So there's something psychological going on there. Absolutely. All right. So we find out Jimmy 
can design suits, Kelly. He's making himself a Matlock copy. Brilliant, brilliant writing, uh, and that was really um, Bob Odenkirk's sketching. But what a smart idea to go and try to cater to the elderly people who absolutely love Matlock. Yeah, of course. Single-breasted, light blue or cream, linen suit with single pocket. And you walk in and you start talking to everybody like you're their best friend, and it works. He really is a great guy. I mean, I he made me just fall in love with him even more when he was over there talking to the elderly and, oh, well, who's the banker? You're the one I want to talk to. And just being so sweet to those people. I just, and of course, I had to find out that the that uh, Casa Tranquilla is the same nursing home where good old Hector uh, and Gus slid his chair across. Oh, uh-huh, so, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's the same place. Of course, the team Breaking Bad production team has to have a juice cam or a jello cam or whatever that was. That was cool on the cart. That was awesome. Yep, I love that. As Jimmy works the crowd. So um, at the end of all this, Mike and Jimmy cross paths again. And Jimmy's all chipper now. He's calling him John Wilkes Booth, Booth Tarkington, man in the booth, troll in the booth. Um, And he's got his shit together. He's got all the stickers for, the I think, the first time, right? First time. Yeah, so. And he actually offers his card to Mike for elder law assistance, should he know anyone who's elderly. (laughs) (laughs) Which was funny, because I remember when Walt was making fun of Mike for being elderly, uh, when they were in the scene where they were making the magnet uh, out in the junkyard. He was talking about how old he was. Uh, So he gets some jabs about his age, poor Mike. (laughs) Yeah, Mike does look kind of like a sad sack here. We see him working all night, all by himself in a lonely booth. And then he goes to the restaurant by himself, the restaurant by the gun store, and eats alone. He just looks pretty miserable. Right, which we know is Lalola's from last time where he met up with Gus and and, uh, Lydia. Same spot. Oh, was it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And and when when, um, Jimmy met up with the Kettleman's. It's a restaurant in Albuquerque on the Route 66. Yeah, I thought they called that a different restaurant. They called a Liola's, right? That's Liola's. Is that well, this? That's this one too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next scene we see, we see a lady get into a Subaru, and she looks like she's a nurse. And Mike's kind of watching her from across the street, kind of. Um, he's on surveillance or something. He's kind of scoping out her house, waiting outside, in his old Chrysler. It's the Breaking Bad Chrysler, isn't it? Yes, it is. And uh, she drives by and stops and eyes him and doesn't say a word. So, Kelly, who is this woman in the nurse's outfit? His daughter. Are you sure? Has to be. No, I don't know for sure. They haven't explained it. But I think that's his daughter. And I think that that little uh, Kaylee Ehrmantraut has something to do with this and his will and that need to get that money to her. Yeah, she'd be the right age to be his daughter, she looks like. And But there's something that came between them because she is not happy, not even a hello. And then what happens next kind of kind of implies some more connecting to that. But he gets home and he, he still looks lonely, he turns on his TV in his dark room. That that place looked pretty sad, didn't it? It did. But um, somebody comes to the door, which looked like a really super unusual occurrence at this place. Mike probably has never anyone come to that door. And it's the detectives and Albuquerque police. Now, the implication there is they were called by this girl, right? The girl in the Subaru? 
Well, I don't know because the cop that's standing in the front says, or Mike says, you've come a long, you're a long way from home, aren't you? And then the cop says, you and me both. Yeah, meaning like Philadelphia? Yeah, and me and my my friend almost got a fist fight <laughs> over who that black guy is. Who is that guy? Was he in Breaking Bad? Because we both recognize him from somewhere. Hmm, I didn't recognize him from Breaking Bad. Uh, okay. I don't know, maybe. maybe. There'd be no reason for him to be from Breaking Bad, but we both were like, we'd seen him, but we didn't know from where. So, you know, sometimes I overanalyze these connections. But the timing of it all, like he passes this girl, mm-hmm. he gets home the next morning or an hour or two or some short time later, within one day, people show up and say, ah, here you are, you're a long way from home, you well, so are you. So it's like the detectives are from Philly, they're recognizing Mike from Philly. But I think the implication seems to be like Mike violated some protection or some... Restraining order. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how they got there from Philly so quickly, but I don't know. The timing of the girl and that the meeting of the police and detectives at his doorstep seem to be definitely related. Right. Maybe he's just taking this kind of under-the-radar job over there, just this minuscule. Because we always wondered, why is he just working as a ticket taker? He's an ex-cop. So maybe that's why he's taking some under-the-radar job, and he took the chance of seeing his daughter... And blew his cover, and now the cops are at his house. Yeah, I'm sure we're gonna find out, but it's fun to try to try to guess. Right. Um, and then then this uh, episode ends, and um, we're back to the O's next time, Kelly. It's five O uh, for one O six. They need to stop confusing me. <laughs> yeah. What do you think five O is? Hawaii five O. I have no idea. 50? Five wasn't cops. Like, hey, five O. So our West Coast Project podcast for Better Call Saul is on every Wednesday. And Kelly, we're up through number six now, so we're on more than halfway through. Six is next time. Um, what do people do to find you on the Internet? Well, they can type in uh, Breaking Bad Fun Facts or Better Call Saul Fun Facts on Facebook. And I post a lot of videos and things that I can't do on Instagram. So if you're a Facebooker, that's the place to be. And you can post your own stuff on my Better Call Saul Fun Facts page. And if you like Instagram, then you can go there and it's the same names, Better Call Saul Fun Facts and Breaking Bad Fun Facts for Instagram. And so we do appreciate you mentioning us in iTunes and Stitcher. If you can leave a comment or put a couple stars down for us. We don't advertise and we don't do any good paid for any of this. So just getting a word out about it is really helpful to us. Tell your friends and family if you like this. Tell them to tune into it. Um, All of Kelly's links are on the website at West Coast Project. And if you want to write to us, there's a web, um, there's an email link to us, support at West Coast Project. My Twitter is at Scathing Tweets. And Kelly, what's yours? BRBA underscore fun facts. All right. So that's all I got, Kelly, until next week, 5-0 on Wednesday, unless you have anything else. Nope, that's it. My fun fact bag is empty. Awesome. I'll see you then. 